while back I was talking with Bill McDowell and he was telling me a story from one of their mission trips that they took to Nigeria. And uh, he, he shared with me that on this trip they traveled to a, a remote village in Nigeria to show the Jesus film. And the way they did it was they, they had a generator and a projector and they hung a white sheet off the side of the bus they were riding in. And uh, the way they would gather the crowd together was by first showing clips of the Mesquite Rodeo. Can you imagine that? He said people would be walking by and they would glance over and they would literally just stop dead in their tracks to watch these clips. Said they had never seen anything like that. One, to see cows that size, and two, to see crazy people riding them. He said they would show that for a few minutes, and then they had a large crowd gathered, and then they would show the Jesus film and share Christ with those in the crowd. And as he shared that with me, a few things came to mind right away. First, I thought, man, that's what happens when you send some Texans to do mission work in Nigeria, right? They draw a crowd with the rodeo, and then they share Jesus. But the second thing I, I thought about was how Christ would draw a crowd during his earthly ministry and how his disciples gathered crowds together to share his message. Now, of course, they did things much more significant, much more amazing than show clips of the Mesquite Rodeo. They healed the lame, cast out demons, and at times even raised the dead. But the reason God allowed for these things, the reason He allowed for these great signs and wonders to be performed by Christ and by His disciples was to get people's attention and to direct people to God's message and to God's messenger and most importantly, to validate the person and the work and the teachings of the Lord Jesus. The miracles Jesus performed during his earthly ministry, they, they affirmed that he was, in fact, who he claimed to be. Remember when Nicodemus came to him in John chapter 3? Remember what he said? He said, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So these great works of Christ are what drew this Pharisee named Nicodemus to him. Then he and Nicodemus, Christ and Nicodemus, have this sit-down, private, one-on-one -on -one meeting together and we're told that Jesus shares with Nicodemus about being born again. Well, in the early church, God was doing a similar work through Christ's disciples. He, through them, was drawing people to himself to hear his gospel message, and he was doing it through great signs and wonders. We're told at the end of Acts 2, in verse 43, that many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And in verse 47, we're told 
that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, in Acts 3, we have one of these stories recorded for us, a story of a, of a miracle and a message and then a great movement of God. In Acts 3, we have an incredible miracle, a powerful message, and in the first part of Acts chapter 4, we have a great movement for God. We're told in Acts 4, That after Peter and John perform this great miracle and Peter delivers this powerful message in Acts 4.4, we're told that Christ's church grew to 5,000 strong. Remember after Christ's ascension, there were 120 Christ followers. Then after Pentecost, that number grew to 3,000. And then at the end of Acts 2, we're told that the Lord kept adding to that number day by day those who were being saved. And then after the great miracle and message in Acts 3, the number grows to over 5,000 men. Throw in women and children, could have been 10,000 or more. And this morning, I want to focus in first on these first 11 verses of Acts 3. I want to start with this great miracle. Last week we discussed what life inside the church looked like, what it looked like when they gathered together for corporate worship, and today we're going to discuss what life outside the church looked like, outside the church walls, outside of corporate worship. We're going to discuss how God's people were living for Him in the world. And there are several things I want you to notice as we discuss this story. First, I want you to notice the setting of the story. Then I want you to notice the miracle of the Lord, the joy of the man, the shock of the crowd, and the message of the apostle. Notice first the setting of the story. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Stop there for just a minute. In this story, we have Peter and John. Now, these two were buddies, right? Remember, they were both fishermen. They were often seen together at key points in Jesus' ministry. They were two of the inner three of Jesus' disciples. James was the other one. They were there when Christ was transfigured. They saw him in a glorified state before he was glorified. They went to the empty tomb together. Remember, John makes mention of this in his gospel and he sort of brags about the fact that he beat Peter in a foot race to the empty tomb. And here in Acts 3, we see they're they're together again. And they're going into the temple together. Now, at this time, this was customary. This was the norm. The phrase, we're going, is a good translation Because the word used in the Greek is in the imperfect, which means it's not complete. It's a continuous daily activity. They did this all the time. We learned that at this time, there were three separate times during the day when the Jews would go into the temple and pray. The Jewish day began at 6 a.m., and the times of prayer would be at 9 and at 12 and at 3 in the afternoon. We're told that this story takes place during the ninth hour or at 3 in the afternoon. So Peter and John are headed to the temple to pray one last time for the day. And some of you are probably hearing that and thinking, why, you know? 
They've already given their lives to Christ. They weren't bound by that anymore. They weren't required to do that. Though God calls for us to devote ourselves to prayer, we don't have to go at a designated time, at a designated place each and every day throughout the day. No, I agree with you. You've got to understand here. At this time, there was one church in Jerusalem made up of Jews. The church had not yet broke from many of these old Jewish customs. That would come later, but not yet. So they were still taking part in these daily practices they had been doing their whole lives. Old habits die hard, right? And notice what happens on this day when they enter into the temple. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says this. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So, as was custom, Peter and John are going into the temple to pray, and as they're approaching the temple gates, they have an encounter with this beggar. Now, Context really helps us here as well. You see, in this day, it was common for beggars to be set up all throughout the city. I read recently where there were normally three places where they were set up. They had three primary locations where they were normally placed to beg, and we learn about this in Scripture. They would sit outside the home of of the rich. Remember the story of the rich man in Lazarus in Luke 16? Remember, Lazarus was poor, and he sat outside the rich man's gate. They also sat on the highway, leaving the city to catch those going in and out. In Mark chapter 10, we have the story of Jesus healing the blind beggar named Bartimaeus along the highway, leaving Jericho. And we also learn that they would sit outside the temple. And so they were stationed in each of these areas. Apparently, each beggar had their own designated place where they would go each and every day. Notice we learn here that this blind man, this, this uh, I'm sorry, this, this lame beggar here, he was being carried to the temple gate. The phrase, was being carried, is also in the imperfect, which indicates he was carried here on a daily basis. Now, you have to think, this would be a great location to be, right? This was the choice place because crowds would go in and out three times a day, and it was likely that many wanted to impress God with their deeds before entering into the temple for worship. You could be sure that the Pharisees wanted everyone, God included, to see their deeds. So I'm sure many gladly gave alms to a beggar outside the temple. Another reason it was a good place to be is because you had the temple treasury. People came bringing money to give in the temple, and they probably thought giving to some beggar outside the temple was the equivalent of giving to God in the temple. So it was a great spot. It was a choice place. And again, we learned not only was this man poor, he was crippled. Luke, the physician, tells us he had been this way from birth to stress the fact that this man's situation was hopeless. 
we learn that this man was 40 years old. So he had been crippled for 40 years, and there's no telling how many years this man was brought to the temple to beg for money. What we do know is he was well known. Everyone who went in and out of this temple knew of this beggar. So he's sitting outside the temple at this gate called the beautiful gate. And we're told that Peter and John are going into the temple. And this beggar, he stops them and he asks them for alms. You know what alms are? Mercy in the form of cash. He's basically saying, look at me. I'm a cripple. Could you please be merciful to me and give me some cash? He was just wanting some change, but little does he know, get this, instead of receiving mercy in the form of cash, he's about to receive grace in the form of healing and salvation. And this poor lame beggar is a lot like us today, isn't he, folks? He is. There are so many in our world today looking for happiness in things that pale in comparison to what God has to offer. They're like this lame beggar. They they go out day after day in pursuit of a few coins thinking that's going to make them happy long term and they go home night after night empty and miserable. And then they wake up and what do they do? They do it all again the next day. That's the way this man was, but we're about to see that his world is about to change. But notice the scene. That's the the setting of the story. Notice point number two, the miracle of the Lord. Notice what happens here. Look at verses four through seven. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took the man by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Wow. What an incredible miracle here. And I want you to notice several key things about this miracle. Notice first, it was surprising. Isn't that just how God works, by the way? I don't know about you, but when God did a miraculous work in my life, when when he saved me, I wasn't expecting it. There was a story a while back I heard told by R.C. Sproul about how and when he was saved. said it happened while he was in college one night, he and a few of his buddies were getting ready to go out on the town for the evening, and he decided to go back into the dorm to buy a pack of cigarettes from the cigarette machine. They had those in college dorms in that day. And when he went back inside, another student met him there and shared Christ with him, and he gave his life to Christ right then and there. Thinking back on that event, he says, I was looking for cigarettes. But Jesus was looking for me, and he found me there. Unexpected, surprising. That's the way God works. And he does that here in Acts 3. This man was asking for mercy in the form of cash, and he gets grace in the form of healing and salvation. He's asking for silver and gold. Get this. Instead, he gets new legs and a new life in Christ. That's awesome, isn't it? It's awesome. 
Look at, look at verse 4 again. Luke says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And Peter says, Look at us. And in verse 5, Luke tells us that this man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them in the form of cash. But he didn't get that. But boy, did he ever get something, right? Peter says, don't have silver and gold. You see, Peter and John didn't have a lot of money. They were not well off financially, but they were rich spiritually. And he says, what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And that man was healed right away, unexpectedly. Again, like we said in the previous point, he was thinking, all I need is a little money to get through the day. And Peter says, you need a whole lot more than that. And he gives him something he never dreamed possible. Believers, was that the way it was for you when you gave your life to Christ? Boy, it was for me. I was looking for something, but it wasn't Jesus. But Jesus found me. He gave me new life in him. And I got far more than I could have ever imagined. I just wanted to be happy. Christ gave me joy everlasting. I I wanted a good life in the here and now. And with Christ, I got eternal and abundant life with him and his people. It was surprising. It was unexpected. Notice also... It was a divine work. This work was a divine work. This is a miracle of the Lord. Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I say to you, rise up and walk. Notice, this is not a work of Peter here, folks. This man is raised by the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus through Peter. Jesus is doing this work in and through him here. Peter is standing and he is acting on behalf of Christ here and he is so sensitive to the Spirit's leading here and so in tune with what Christ wants him to do that he says very boldly in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's being a bold witness for Christ here in this miracle. He says, in the name of God's man, in the name of God's Messiah from Nazareth, I say to you, get up, rise up and walk. Lord did this miracle through Peter. So it was a surprising miracle, a divine miracle. It was also an instant miracle. Look at verse 7 again. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And what does it say? Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. This happened immediately, folks, in an instant. This man didn't have to check in to a rehab facility for a week or two or meet with the physical therapist for six to eight weeks, did he? We're told his feet and ankles were made strong right away. Notice one more thing. Not only was it surprising and immediate, but it was also complete. Even though he had never walked a day in his life, on that day, he was ready to run a marathon. His legs are strong and agile. He doesn't just get up and walk gingerly, we're told. He leaped up and he went into the temple with Peter and John, walking and leaping and praising God. He was completely healed. He didn't need anything else. This miracle was unexpected instantaneous and complete. I'd say that's a pretty good checklist for a miracle right there, wouldn't you? And notice that 
Though this is a work of the Lord, God used Peter and John. They got to take part, didn't they? MacArthur said it like this when talking about this miracle. He said, though the power was Christ's, get this, the hand was Peter's. Don't you like that? Believers, get this. God wants to use you in this way. He wants to use you in this way. He just wants you to make yourself available. Now, I'm not talking about a healing ministry here. Though I believe people are healed in miraculous ways today, it doesn't happen in every town, on every corner, every week. Miracles, by definition, are unique and rare and unexpected workings of God. But like he did with Peter and John, God wants to use you in a great and mighty way. He wants to use the words of your mouths and the actions of your hands and feet to advance his kingdom for his glory. Folks, there is so much ministry to be done in your homes first. Can I say that? In your homes first. Discipleship begins in the home. Ministry begins in the home. Home first. Also in your communities and in this church. And the question you need to ask yourself today is, are you going to make yourself available? to do that ministry? Are you going to provide the hands and the feet that are needed to minister or not? Peter and John did. Made an unexpected, powerful, and immediate impact, and you can as well. So notice what we've seen so far. We've seen the setting of the story and the miracle of the Lord, and then notice number three, the joy of the man. The joy of the man. Look at verse 8. And leaping up, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Man, this guy was ecstatic. He was thrilled, overjoyed. And can you blame him? I mean, he was carried in that day, hoping to collect a few coins, and he ends that day with new legs and a new heart. He started that day being carried into the city and being placed outside the temple, and he ends the day entering into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. What a transformation. After 40 years of being crippled physically and spiritually, this man was now jumping around everywhere, filled with the joy of the Lord. Can you imagine if you were there seeing that? How awesome would that have been? to to witness that. Well, we're told that there was a group who got to witness this. Notice the next point, the shock of the crowd. We have the setting of the story, the miracle of the Lord, the joy of the man, and now the shock of the crowd. Those in the crowd could hardly believe their eyes. They were amazed. Look at verses 9 and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Picture this. The people are going in to this temple that afternoon thinking that it's like any other day, right? It's just like any other day. My guess is the atmosphere in the temple was like it always was, quiet and calm and and somber. And then all of a sudden, they hear this faint cry. Picture this. It's quiet, somber. They hear this faint cry that keeps getting louder and louder and louder. And all of a sudden, this beggar just bursts through the doors 
shouting, praising the Lord at the top of his lungs. They were probably scared to death, weren't they? They knew this man very well. They had seen him every day, three times a day for years. And on that afternoon, they saw him strolling through the temple down the aisle, filled with joy, healed from the inside out, jumping around and praising the Lord at the top of his lungs, worshiping God with his whole heart, with every fiber of his being. And how did they respond? The only way they could, right? With wonder and amazement. Folks, there is no denying this miracle. Everyone knew this man. Not even the Pharisees could deny it. They wanted to. Boy, they wanted to, but they couldn't. We're told in Acts chapter 4, verse 16, that they say this, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We cannot deny it. This man who had been crippled since birth is now running around, jumping around everywhere, praising God. They got a problem on their hands, don't they? They do. There was not one thing anybody could do but be amazed. And so get this. The stage is set. You have the scene outside the temple where it all went down. The sign, the great miracle the disciples performed. You have the spectacle of this healed man walking and jumping and praising God. You have the stir of the crowd. They're, they're filled with wonder and amazement at the obvious miracle that has occurred. And the stage is set for the final point here, the message of the apostle. After all this, get this. All eyes are fixed on Peter and John. We're told in verse 11 that Peter and John, they make their way after healing this man, they make their way out to a large courtyard of the temple called Solomon's Porch. Many believe this is where after Jesus healed the man who was born blind, many believe this is where he taught. That's recorded for us in John 10 where he said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for sheep. This is a well-known place. Peter and John, they are, they are back here in this area of the temple. And we're told that the crowd gathers around them because of this great miracle that has occurred. And notice this. Notice who's standing up right there clinging to Peter and John before Peter delivers this great sermon. This is so great. Look at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John. Who's he talking about there? The man's been healed, right? He's sitting right there, evidence, right there, clinging to Peter and John. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So after this miracle, Peter and John slip back to this courtyard in the temple. And when this crowd sees this man healed, the prayer service is over. And they leave to go find Peter and John, and they gather around them in this courtyard, and this man who is healed is standing right there with them, clinging to Peter and John. And get this, picture this. The crowd's eyes are first fixed on the man who's been healed, and then they turn to Peter and John. And we're told that Peter begins to preach. What did he say? We well, have to come back next week for that part, all right? 
Next week, we're going to look at what Peter said. We're going to look at his sermon. But let me end by saying this. What he said to them, get this, every one of them needed to hear it. The message Peter delivered was one every one of them needed to hear. Though few needed physical healing like this lame beggar, they all needed spiritual healing. Though few in the crowd were physically crippled in any way, they were in shambles spiritually. Everyone in that crowd needed to be healed from the inside out. Everyone in that crowd needed to be forgiven of sin and brought back into a right relationship with God. And folks, that's what we all need. We all need it. There are many who've come to church here this morning, some of you in here, who think you're in need of nothing. You see, the difference between physical sickness and spiritual sickness is when you're physically sick you know it the lame beggar knew that he was in need there are many in our world some in here who are in shambles spiritually and don't even know it you know how i know that's the case because god tells us very clearly in his word that there are spiritually blind people in our midst who don't even know they're blind Scripture is clear. If you are not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, if he is not your Lord, you are dead spiritually. That's what it says in Ephesians 2. Not just broken, not just crippled, but dead. Like the crippled in this story, there is not one thing that you can do to change the state of things in your life spiritually on your own by your filthy rags, which you call good works. But here's the good news. This is what makes the good news great. This is what makes the gospel so great, folks. God has provided for us what is lacking in us. That's good news. We've fallen short. We've failed to measure up. We've turned away from God in our sin. The only thing we contribute is the sin that makes us in need of salvation. That's all our contribution. We sin, so we're in need. God's done everything else. We've turned away from him in our sin, but though that's the case, get this, he has met every requirement for us in his son. He has sent Christ to live for us and die for us and be raised for us so that we through him can be forgiven of sin and made right with God. And I pray this morning that if you are in shambles spiritually, that God would make that known to you. That he would give you a heart to understand it. That he would give you eyes to see your sinfulness, and your need of him. And I, I, I pray if you're here this morning, you've never made Christ the Lord of your life, I pray the Spirit of God would do a work in your heart and life right here, right now, today, that he would show you your sinfulness and your need of a Savior and awaken you to faith in Christ. I pray that take place today.